Hello and welcome back to Rose DiVirgilio's podcast. This podcast is produced and published for DiVirgilio Benefit Resources consumers. It is not intended to offer clinical health or tax advice. Okay, so in this week's podcast, uh, we are going to talk about the flurry of IRS notices that employers are receiving with regard to the Affordable Care Act and the employer shared responsibility. In summary, the Affordable Care Act created shared responsibilities for both employers and individuals with regard to health insurance coverage. This podcast examines both responsibilities and cautions both employers and individuals uh, with regard to reporting offers of coverage correctly and on a timely basis. As we know, the individual mandate is no longer in place, okay? Uh, But individuals still have responsibilities if they are receiving subsidized coverage uh, and if they're on Medicaid or have their children on Child Health Plus or uh, have the Essential Health Plan. Uh, These programs have been extended under the federal Uh, COVID emergency for 12 months Uh, and they continue to be extended through April 30th of 2022. So if your coverage is renewing before April 30th of 2022, um, if you have Medicaid, Child Health Plus or the Essential Health Plan, your coverage will be extended for an additional 12-month period. However, this is very, very important for individuals to know. It does not relieve you of your responsibility to report employer offers of coverage or anyone within your household. If your spouse receives an employer offer of coverage, you or her, you must report these. If your income changes, you must report this. So you must update your application. Okay, you want to make sure that you do this and you let them make the determination whether you could continue on these programs after you have received an employer offer of coverage. Um, And I can't stress this enough because if they audit you down the road and you had an affordable offer of coverage and you did not accept it, they could make you pay back your benefits. So you must, must report offers of coverage. Okay, so that's one. And employers, you should always collect a waiver. If the individual refuses your uh, offer of coverage, you should collect a waiver. And the waiver should spell out what your contributions are, the name of the plan, and uh, whether it provides minimum essential coverage or minimum valued standards. And how could you, you know, spell out whether the plan provides minimum essential coverage and whether it meets minimum value standards. That is done by providing the summary of benefits to your employees because on page five of six or towards the back of the summary of benefits, that summary of benefits states that we consider this minimum essential coverage and it is meeting minimum value standards. So it is important to collect these waivers if your employees waive your offer uh, and keep them on file for a minimum of five years. The IRS is now going back to 2017 
and analyzing all offers of coverage. They're back at work. Uh, the government shutdown is over with, and they are issuing a flurry of Affordable Care Act penalty notices. So next, uh, you know, let's review again and refresh on who is an applicable large employer and what the penalties are uh, because this is very important as we now go into growth mode and employers are hiring more individuals it is important to know you know where you stand am I considered a small employer for the Affordable Care Act purposes or am I considered a large employer and you always want to look at you know uh, your your most recent uh, filing last year whether you were considered so if you're over the 50 FTE mark this year uh, you're going to be an applicable large employer next year so if you grow past the 50 mark on average for this year and your full-time equivalent uh, at the end of this year is more than 50 FTE as of January 1st next year you are going to have to start providing affordable coverage to your employees. If you're a new employer this year and you know that you're going to be over the 50 FTE mark, the IRS actually says that you have to provide affordable coverage this year. Uh, but it's usually based on uh, the previous year. Okay, so let's take a look at these uh, regulations and I will always give you links to credible resources um, and I will give you the link to the IRS and how you could calculate again um, if you're considered an applicable large employer. Okay, so next uh, let's take a look uh, to see how you determine if you're an applicable large employer for those in growth mode this year or you know to make sure you are not an applicable large employer and don't know it okay um, so we know that the health care law has some tax requirements that apply only to certain employers those called applicable large employers or known as ALEs the vast majority of employers are not ALEs, but it's important to determine every year if you are an ALE, so you know which requirements will apply to you the following year. Um, and if you're starting a new business, of course, if you know that you're going to be an applicable large employer, you are responsible for these um, shared responsibilities as well that apply to ALEs. Um, so your ALE status determines your healthcare reporting and coverage requirements. Um, and so that's why it's important to determine your workforce size each year because that could change your status and uh, your responsibilities. There is a lot of help on irs.gov ACA, but here are some highlights, okay? You're an applicable large employer if you averaged 50 or more full-time employees, including full-time equivalents uh, in the previous calendar year. Employees are considered full-time for a calendar month if they average at least 30 hours per week or 130 hours per month. And don't forget to include the FTE and determine the number of hours for part-time employees. Uh, to determine the number of FTEs, uh, the IRS has told us to add the number of hours for the employees that are not full-time for that month 
but don't include more than 120 hours for any employee. Then divide the total by 120. And again, there are several examples on irs.gov slash ACA. But here's one more thing to keep in mind. Um, if your business is part of larger groups or um, of employers or businesses that are under common control, you still may be considered a large group even though you're, you don't have more than 50 employees. So you want to make sure that you discuss this with your attorney to see if you're considered a business that's under common control. Uh, for more information to determine your status, again, you could visit irs.gov ACA. Okay, so let's say uh, you are an applicable large employer. You have determined that. And now you want to know uh, at what threshold, uh, you know, at what percentage uh, of premiums do you have to cover so that you are meeting your responsibility of affordability, of providing your employee with affordable coverage? Well, under the ACA, the affordability threshold is the highest percentage of the household income an employee can be required to pay monthly for health insurance premiums um, based on the least expensive employer-sponsored plan uh, offer that meets the ACA's minimum essential coverage requirements. Uh, so what does this mean if you're offering a platinum, a gold, and a silver? Uh, you could use the silver as your test and um, you would only use the self-only coverage premium, okay? But because employers don't know their employees' household incomes, uh, there are three affordability safe harbors that ALEs can use to determine if the annual affordability threshold is being met. The safe harbors are based on information the employer has for each employees, uh, each of their employees, and any of the following can be used. You can use the employee's W-2 wages as reported in box one, generally as of the first day of the plan year that you're applying this affordability test to, or you could use the employee's rate of pay which is the hourly wage multiplied by 130 hours per month as of the first day of the plan year. Or for salaried employees uh, for 2022, the threshold is 9.61, so that would be 9.61% of the monthly salary as of the first day of the 2022 coverage period. Um, for example, if using the rate of pay safe harbor um, SHRM, the Society for Health and uh, for the Human Resources Management, published that a $15 an hour uh, employee, uh, the coverage would be affordable in 2021 if they were paying less than $191.68. That's when using the employee's rate of pay. And in 2022, for that same employee, the premium is affordable if less than $187.39. Uh, again, you could use the employee's W-2 wages as reported in box one. You could use the employee's rate of pay. And the third safe harbor that you could use is the federal poverty level as published by the Department of Health and Human Services. Okay, uh, Regulations allow employers to use the published FPL rate in effect six months prior to the beginning of the plan year. So a non-calendar year plan could have a slightly 
different affordability threshold uh, if you use the FPL. But for 2022, if uh, using the FPL, which is the safest way, but probably the most costliest for the employer, if the premium required from your employee monthly is less than $103.14, you're safe. Okay, that is the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, at the highest level that uh, you are making contributions with the FPL. Uh, but again, that would be the most costliest for the employer as well. Um, so if you have any questions, I will again give you the link uh, to the ACA and the safe harbors, or uh, you could ask your payroll company to assist you with this, or your uh, tax accountant. Um, and, you know, if you need local partners to work with, I can refer you to many that are here local and have good reputations and are credible. Okay, so what happens if uh, you decide that you don't want to play? and uh, you don't provide what the IRS considers minimum essential coverage um, and you decide not to cover your employees or let's say you do provide minimum essential coverage but the uh, affordability threshold is not being met and not considered affordable for the employee. Uh, well, the IRS is now back. Um, the government shutdown is over and they are issuing a flurry of Affordable Care Act penalty notices. And these include letter 226J and letter 5005-A form 886A. Um, so what are these? Well, the letter 226J assesses the penalty. Uh, the employers receive this notice when employees apply for subsidized coverage through the exchange. And uh, so, you know, the notice could be triggered in two ways. Um, the IRS has documentation, and of course they do, that you're a large applicable employer and uh, your employees are going through the New York State of Health and receiving subsidies. And now their uh, systems are talking. So you are going to receive this letter asking you to respond and uh, they will have assessed a penalty which uh, they believe is what you owe them. Um, so you want to make sure that you do respond to this notice within 10 days if you could. Um, if you have proof that you have offered affordable coverage, that's where that waiver comes in and that's where uh, you are going to make a copy of that waiver and provide it as documentation and say, you know, hey, look, I did offer affordable coverage to this employee. He or she may have not reported it correctly. You may have the wrong information, but I have done my due diligence as an employer. And this is why it's important for employees to report the offer of coverage as well, because now the IRS is going to go back to them and say, hey, you know, you weren't eligible for that subsidy, or maybe you weren't eligible for Medicaid. We want that money back. So it's important for both the employer and the individual to report offers of coverage and, uh, you know, documentation is the key here. Um, you may also receive notice 5005 um, 
and this is issued when the employer failed to file or comply with the ACA and the IRS knows that you have more than 50 employees. Um, so they probably will send you a notice and uh, say you must file within 90 days um, and you must meet your responsibilities. And my advice is that you do file within 90 days. Sometimes you could reduce your penalty and sometimes, you know, um, if you could prove uh, that you... Uh, really thought you weren't an applicable large employer or or there was an er error um, you know in uh, in the estimation that you had on hand um, they may reduce it or they may forgive it but you will have to file anyways okay Um, so what happens if you don't prepare and file 1094c and 1095c's and ignore every letter the IRS sends you Um, you know, they will send you a series of letters, uh, but uh, if you ignore them and you don't respond, uh, they could actually file a lien on your property or your business, uh, revoke your passport. And last but not least, uh, I do want to share that sometimes these letters are generated uh, because there's coding errors. And most of the common errors are when you're reporting employees and waiting periods. You want to make sure it does not reflect more than 90 days or three months. Um, And you want to make sure that you use the right code for that waiting period um, also. And also when an employee has waived, uh, you want to make sure that you use, uh, you're using the right code for that as well. Um, also, you know, you want to make sure that you're checking that uh, you are offering minimum essential coverage for all 12 months. Um, so these are common areas uh, where there are reporting errors and uh, these errors do generate these letters. Okay, everyone, if you need a tall glass of beer or a cold glass of wine, I am with you. This has been a very intense podcast. If I could help you, I am here to do that. DeVirgilio Benefit Resources uh, is located at 659 Main Street in Johnson City, New York. And the telephone number where you could reach me, Rose DeVirgilio, is 607 777 9526. Thank you.